The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today it is my absolute pleasure and honor to introduce Sloane Miller. She is a licensed social worker and author of a terrific book called Allergic Girl, Adventures in Living Well with Food Allergies. She also has a terrific blog called Please Don't Pass the Nuts, all about eating allergy-free one meal at a time. Sloan, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Well, I love your book. The thing is, you wrote a book about allergies, you're a licensed social worker, and you yourself have suffered the trials and tribulations of having food allergies. And so you speak from experience but also with this comforting, funny tone. You describe your life, really, and going from a, this is right from the cover, you grew up a shy girl with food allergies into a confident, take-charge, allergic girl who enjoys a full and exciting life. Who doesn't want that? I'd like that. I have that. Wait, I have it. And you can, too. Well, you know, when I met you, you told me about something that I wouldn't have suspected, when you told me, it was like, well, of course, but you said food allergies are very frightening to have. And you describe in your book, actually, a situation where you had a panic attack, because once you know what can happen during an allergic reaction, it must be pretty frightening to eat again. Yes, look, food allergies are real, and the consequences of accidental exposure to your allergen can lead to very serious consequences. And it's natural, once you have any kind of adverse reaction to food, to be fearful about eating again. And yet, as someone with food allergies, you have to come to terms with that relationship to food because you do need to eat again. And ideally, not only do you need to eat again for nourishment, but eat again for the pleasurable aspects, the social aspects. And that's really what my book explores, how to move through that relationship to food and get to the other side where you can manage your feelings, you can manage the diagnosis, and really have a positive relationship with food again. Yeah, you talk about having this love-hate relationship where you love food, and we should love food. It nourishes us, it's delicious, it's part of our social experiences, and yet having that dread or that anxiety makes you also hate food at times. Mm -hmm. How did you move from having a panicky feeling to be able to feel like you're in charge? An excellent question. I think you really have to separate out that food is food. It is not good. It is not evil. It is just, it's inert. It's just sitting there. And your feelings about food is what you can control and really is what, what's going on. And so once you recognize that you're having a, a specific negative feeling about a food, that's the first step to changing that feeling to a neutral feeling or to a positive feeling. Mm-hmm. And you have some wonderful strategies in here, I might add. It's chock full of medical resources. 
This is a book that any clinician, any registered dietitian would recommend because it is so scientifically sound and well-researched, and yet personal as well and funny. And I'm going to share a little excerpt here because I picked it up and I couldn't, well, I shouldn't say that I was laughing, but I was. You talk about being on a date, and the date is heating up. You write, my skin was tingling all over from excitement, or was that itching? At first, I dismissed my unbelievably itchy face and neck as a fleeting reaction to beard stubble. However, what had been a slight tickle quickly progressed to a throbbing wave of itchy insistence. It was getting worse. And then you say, forget about looking hot. I looked like a smallpox victim. I was stunned. (laughs) We don't think about these intimate experiences that a person might have Tell the listeners the story and and where that allergen came from. Sure. Well, first, I was on a date, and as I I have private clients, so I work with the food allergic community privately to work through these psychological issues. And one of the things that uh, my main piece of advice is, is to take food allergies seriously. And once you take them seriously, people around you will be able to take them seriously. And that includes knowing what to do in case of an emergency. So I was on a date, and this was our, I think it was our second or our third date, and he knew I had food allergies, and I had explained earlier in the evening, this is what to do in case of an emergency. This is where my emergency medication is. This, These are the symptoms that might show up if I have an allergic reaction. So I had full disclosure, and so he was completely aware of what my needs are and what might happen, even though it was a remote possibility. It happened to be on that night that something did happen. So one of the things that I said to him was that um, I may start itching and I may not realize that I'm having an allergic reaction, and that's exactly what happened. We had gone through a list of what he had eaten earlier that day, and he had had cashews, but we shared a meal together and a meal that was free of my allergens, and it had been many, many hours since he had eaten an allergen, my allergen as it was. And according to current research, that is the best way to rid one saliva of a potential allergen. So the date became intimate, and we were smooching, and I was very itchy, and I couldn't figure out why I was so itchy. And what it was, it took uh, some time to figure it out, but he had a beard, And like most people, when he ate some nuts, he scooped them up in his hand and he brought his hand to his face, covering his mouth and his face with his hand that had cashew in it. So his beard ended up having um, protein from cashew, and everywhere his beard had touched me, I had a severe allergic reaction. Wow. But because I had told him what to do in case of an emergency, he was very well aware of how to support me in that situation, and I was kept out of danger. And nut allergies are very common, and we should probably let our listeners know that you're allergic specifically to fish and nuts, and your allergic reactions occurred early in your life, so you've been living with this for decades. Do we want to talk a little bit, just kind of backtrack here and say what are the most common allergens out there and that allergy rates are increasing? Sure. According to the FDA, 90% of all allergic reactions happen from eight very common foods in the American diet. They are peanuts, tree nuts, fish, shellfish, eggs, wheat, dairy, and soy. A person can be, however, allergic to anything at any time. My allergies presented in infancy. 
I outgrew some of them, but the the main ones, fish and tree nuts, I did not outgrow. Also, as I grew into toddlerhood, I also developed environmental allergies, eczema, and asthma, which are all part of what is called atopic disease, which is part of food allergy disease. Why are food allergies increasing, do you think? Yeah, this is a it's an excellent medical question that our Western medical community hasn't quite figured out. What they have figured out is that the numbers are increasing and that the diagnosis of real IgE-mediated food allergy and food allergy um, responses, including anaphylaxis, are in fact on the rise and uh, very serious and must be taken seriously. So if one suspects that they are having a food allergic reaction to any of those ingredients that I mentioned or anything, any other outliers. I'm also allergic to melon and eggplant, for example, and I get um, itchy throat and itchy lips, which is part of an allergic reaction. They should see a board-certified allergist who is familiar with food allergy to discuss what is going on, go through some testing, go through some history about what kind of reactions they have and how to move forward, make sure they have an emergency plan. So like me, on my date, they know exactly what to do, what medicine to take, when what symptom appears when there's some uh, accidental exposure. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really interesting, again, an aha moment for me, but you describe how when you were a child, people would blame you for having these allergies. And I think that that was a surprise. But also, I think there's a lot of eye-rolling that happens when someone says, well, I can't eat that, I'm allergic to that. Maybe they're not taken seriously. Why is that? I think, you know, any difference is always looked at like, well, why are you different? And this is a moment when you are different. However, the important thing to remember is that, again, once you take them personally, once you understand your diagnosis, your medical diagnosis, which means, you know, a very lengthy conversation with a board-certified allergist who's familiar with food allergies. Once you really understand what's going on with your body and how to take care of yourself and you fully accept that about yourself, people around you will accept it much easier for the most part. And I think another added aspect of the fact that so many children now are being diagnosed with food allergies and the media has really taken this up in a lot of positive ways is that there's less eye rolling Mm -hmm. and more people now have family members, friends, colleagues with food allergies. When I was growing up, I was the only one in my school. Now it's one in 13 children according to a new study published by Pediatrics Journal. One in 13 American children. It's a huge number. Six million children. It's huge. Yeah, it's staggering, really. And you have to wonder, I wonder anyway, what is going on in our environment? There's a section in your book that you talk about incidents and some of the theories about why we're seeing this this increase. And really, it's shocking, Sloan. I, I think about, as you mentioned, when you were a child in school, you were the only one. I mean, nobody had restrictions on peanut butter sandwiches, right? Right. No. Well, and P.S., I eat peanut butter. I'm not allergic to peanuts. Peanuts are legumes. They're not tree nuts. Right. And so I was eating peanut butter in school, and they weren't serving Brazil nut butter, or they weren't serving Nutella. Nutella didn't exist in this country when I was a child. So, you know, it was it was a very different situation. You know, I know there's a lot of bullying going on. There were 
there were no bullies about food allergies because no one knew about it. Right. <laughs> so, so I was kind of under the radar. Certainly mm-hmm. with my family, you know, that's where some of the eye rolling was, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but again, with media, as I've grown up, as my family has grown up, as my cousins have grown up and they have children and their children have best friends that have food allergies, it's become much more accepted. Yeah. Um, and why it's happening now is an unknown. But it's here, it's real, and it's going to stay. And so it's very important that people take it seriously and move move on from there. Well, and I think it's interesting, too. You know, there's always this thought that, well, we're getting better at diagnosis now. But I want to emphasize to our listeners that the incidence of food allergies is beyond that we're getting better at diagnosis. It's there's something going on in our environment. I know there's the the hygiene theory that you know well we're we're cleaning everything more these days. And we do know that children who say grow up on a farm or grow up around animals are less likely to develop food allergies. But you you yourself you were breastfed and that's supposed to be protective. Right. Well, you know, I I'm kind of I go against all of the current theories. So I grew up here in New York City. It was dirty. <laughs> and smoggy. Yeah. Um, we had a house in the country. I we had a garden. I was rolling around in dirt. Yeah. So those two things, you know, and we didn't have antibacterial soap. Um, in my instance, I believe that there's a highly, and this is just my personal um, belief about about my food allergies, uh, my atopic disease. I believe there's a high gen- a genetic component. There are environmental allergies all over my family. My mother had very bad eczema as a child. She has food allergies specifically. She's allergic to shellfish, and my father has bee venom allergies and environmental allergies. So honestly, I think genetically I was primed mm-hmm. to have um, atopic disease in the way that I was, With, including I was breastfed and I, I had exposure to a lot of dirt. Right, so. right. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Sloane Miller. She is a licensed social worker and author of a terrific book called Allergic Girl, Adventures in Living Well with Food Allergies. And she also has a wonderful blog if you want to get online. Please don't pass the nuts, eating allergy-free one meal at a time. But what I love about your book, Sloane, is that it truly is empowering. It's written on a very personal level, and it talks about not only these clinical issues and, hey, what's going on, but also your personal experiences with these feelings of panic, and you describe being in a restaurant in Italy and jumping up from the table, all of a sudden feeling like, oh, my gosh, my throat is closing. Is my throat closing? And then you realize when you run back to your hotel, oh, no, it was just a panic attack. So tell me how you worked through some of that personally. Again, it's it's uh, recognizing irrational fears and physical body responses, and this is really about tuning in to what's going on. At that point, I was in Italy. I was alone. Uh, I was 15 on a, a teen tour of art history, and it, it was really a lovely tour, and, and I had been doing great up until then. And what happened was I waited too long to eat. You know, I was with a big group, and as with a big group, the order was very slow. We were sitting there probably for about an hour and a half waiting for food, and my blood sugar dropped. And so it wasn't so much a panic attack as it was I was hypoglycemic. <laughs> so, oh. you know, but it could be very difficult to tell. And when you have, again, any adverse reactions to food, if you look up the definition of anaphylaxis, which is commonly referred to as shock, but it is the kind of worst-case scenario of any allergic reaction, whether it is to latex, bee sting, medication, or food, it's kind of where the body starts to shut down on various systems. And one of the symptoms is a feeling of dread or doom, 
which is the same symptom that you feel when you're having a panic attack. So it's very, very crucial to understand the difference between panic and feelings of, for example, low blood sugar and the feeling of anaphylaxis. And this is why, again, it's crucial to take food allergies seriously at all times and to really understand what your emergency action plan is. And again, that's something that you go over with your board-certified allergist. And it's specifically a piece of paper that says, if exposed to your allergen and you have this symptom, you take this medication. And if you have this symptom, you take these medications. And if you have this symptom, you go to the hospital. And it's very clearly delineated. And that's something for you to know and to also help you sort through when am I just feeling fearful and when is something really happening. I agree with your comment about having an action plan. I think just having a plan in place is a very empowering tool. And I also think that your chapters on relationships and family acceptance and what to do when you're going out, if we haven't thought about those things in advance, you help prepare us with a plan. So let's talk about different family reactions. You've got Supportive families, of course, and then you've got families where food, you describe the Italian family, where uh, wheat was an issue for one gentleman, and the family was really reluctant, like, oh, how much could a little wheat matter, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a classic response for most family. It's usually grandparents. Oh, a little won't hurt them. Right. We'll just scrape it off. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just scrape it off. And again, this is where it's really important that you know scraping it off is not going to work. My feeling about family ultimately is, because we've all had this experience in in the food allergic world and I'm hearing it more and more from the celiac disease world, that there are just family members that just never get on board. They Mm -hmm. just never quite get it. I still have family members that will send me a new study that says, oh, you can take a pill and all your food allergies will go away. Mm. That's not happening right now. That doesn't exist. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. So your job as the person with the need is to connect to the love and support that those family members have for you and sidestep the issues that you're never going to resolve, which is they want to kind of discuss your adverse reactions to food and, you know, what you're doing or what you're not doing or what cure they read about or saw on the news. Mm -hmm. So I really fully explore this in my book about how to connect to the love and support that your family does have for you and friends have for you and your partner has for you. And even when they don't get it, that if you can connect to that, that that's that's really the pathway out of fights and bad feelings and feeling marginalized. What about going to parties? Do you go? You, <laughs> definitely go. <laughs> go and with a plan. With a Always plan. With a plan. And you mentioned that you like to have a bite to eat before you go, and you were describing being at a birthday party where you, and you know, part of your plan is talking to the chef or talking to the caterer in advance, and you describe a situation where they're preparing beets with hazelnut oil, <laughs> and, and you see the situation going downhill, and they bring the beets out, and there's oil on them, and you're not sure what kind of oil it is. Yeah. And so you ended up not eating them. Did that make you feel a little uncomfortable at the time? Sure. It made me, you know, it makes me feel a little embarrassed because everyone else is eating. They're like, well, why aren't you eating that? Yeah. But the truth is, I know I felt uncomfortable, and eating it wasn't going to make me feel more uncomfortable. I just 
something in my mind clicked over and it was glistening with oil and I just didn't feel 100% that it wasn't hazelnut oil. And it's very important to listen to your heart, your gut, whatever you want to call that inside voice that is telling you to stop. Because there's a fine line between fear running away with you and fear keeping you safe. And you, you know, I, I like to say that you, you know you need to manage the fear about food allergies, but you shouldn't eliminate it. You do need to keep a little bit to keep you on your toes. And so in that situation, I didn't feel comfortable. So the two gentlemen on either side of me said, well, are you going to have your salad? And I said, no. (laughs) They said, can we have it? I said, sure. (laughs) And then when the chicken came out, the next course, they both volunteered. They said, do you want us to taste test that for you? (laughs) Because they knew I felt uncomfortable about the hazelnut oil. And they had eaten it, and they said there was no hazelnut oil. They said it was was olive oil. But what I did, and, and again, I described this in the book, is I created immediate allies to the left and to the right of me by being vulnerable and by saying to them, I'm a little nervous about what this is. I feel like there might be some hazelnut. Would you taste it for me? And they both t- took a taste, and they said, we don't taste hazelnut. But I said, I still don't feel comfortable, so they ate it. And then when my next dish came out, they were said, you know, what do you need from us? How can we help you? Aww. And this really comes from my taking my needs and my feelings very seriously about food allergies. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I may have felt a little embarrassed. I may have felt a little uncomfortable, but I felt a whole lot better than eating a salad that I was nervous about. Yeah, and just getting the point across that this is really life or death here, folks. This is, you know, you don't want a medical emergency on your hands. No, and you certainly don't want that at a party. Right. So, I'm, you know, the whole point of being at a party is to have a good time. Mm-hmm. Food may be part of it. Food may not be part of it. And it's my job as someone with the need to take care of that need before I even step into a new space. So if that means um, having a little bite ahead of time, I do it. I usually bring a snack. I always, always travel with all of my emergency medication at all times. I never leave it in the car. I never leave it in another purse. I never leave it with a friend. It's always on my person. Mm-hmm. And I know what to what to do and when to do it. So, you know, the point is to Definitely go to the party, but make sure that you can have a comfortable time. And if it means not eating at the party entirely because you're, you know, you didn't have a chance to talk to the host or hostess or it's an unknown situation, then make sure you have something with you so you're not starved and absolutely go and enjoy yourself. But don't have too much to drink because you might accidentally kiss a man with a beard who had just <laughs> popped some nuts in his mouth. <laughs> Yeah, well, who, who who knew about that one? That one, I have to say, definitely took me by surprise. But he was he was a star, and he really, what was great about it is he really listened. Because I took my allergies seriously, and I explained them in a non-threatening, non-scary way about what to do, he absolutely listened. So when I said, I'm having an allergic reaction, he said, take a Benadryl. Yeah. And because I had instructed him on what to say, and and he absolutely did it. So it was it was actually a great date. Well, it sounds like he's a very compassionate, good guy to have in your life. (laughs) And there was another story in your book. Uh, You and your mother are in an Italian restaurant, and you order a dish of ice cream, and you notice that it has flecks in it that are beyond the normal flecks of vanilla bean. And your mother takes control, and she says, this food could kill my daughter. And it was the reaction of the waiter, actually, that made me think about this story. You know, there was, again, this eye-rolling, like, whatever, this is the way we serve our ice cream. So it really does take a little effort, doesn't it, before you go to a restaurant? Well, certainly. First of all, that story was about 20 years ago, more. And here in New York, there is a lot more.
more training about food allergies, and nationally there has been really a move towards food allergy awareness. Certainly there's been a lot of gluten-free discussion, gluten-free awareness, but food allergies are, are not far behind. I spend an entire chapter in the book talking specifically about dining out. I should mention that I also have an entire chapter which I think of as the primer, and it's all the kind of internal strategies that need to take place before you go out into the world, all the all the thinking parts, all the feeling parts before you go and you can put these in place. And it's a really important chapter. So read the restaurant chapter is really about, again, doing a little bit of homework and a little bit of planning before you step into an establishment that may serve you an allergy-friendly meal. Now, I dine out at least five nights a week. Very often, I will dine out twice a day. For example, yesterday I was at a restaurant called The Strand here in New York. Um, we filmed a little YouTube video with the executive chef named Kelvin Fernandez, who was just on Chopped, and he has a shellfish allergy. Hmm. So he himself has food allergies, and he cooked us yesterday an allergen-friendly meal, which was fantastic and completely safe and delicious. And then at night I went to Katz's Deli and had the pastrami. <laughs> so that's, that's twice in one day. That's a lot. That's a lot of eating out, and that's very typical. But I have the same strategy for when I eat out, and I detail this on my blog, and I detail it in my book about. Again, it starts with I take my food allergy seriously. I know what I'm allergic to. I create a support system around me, and I am patient. I'm patient because I know that there will be mistakes, especially when dining out. And that's why I have my emergency medication. That's why if I ever question what's in front of me, I never risk it, which is what you read in that story. I looked down at a dish of ice cream, and I think I was about 16 years old, and the dish of ice cream had hard flecks of brown in it. Now, vanilla ice cream shouldn't have anything in it. Right. And that's why I turned to my trusted mother, and I said, there's something wrong here. And, you know, I was really paying attention to what I'm eating, which is crucial. I think it's crucial for everyone to pay attention to what you're eating. Absolutely. Um, but it's certainly with people with food allergies. So the dining out with food allergies, I have a whole strategy. And, again, it involves a little planning, a little homework, and a lot of very clear communication to a restaurant ahead of time to give them a chance to be able to serve you well and minimize the possible risk. Sloan, we just have a minute left. And I want to give you a chance to leave our listeners with a message that I may have not been able to get out. I think we've covered everything. I think my main piece of advice for anyone um, with an adverse reaction to food, whether it is food allergy, celiac disease, non-celiac gluten intolerance, food intolerance, is to take this seriously. See a doctor, really understand your diagnosis, create supportive relationships around you, and, um, and go out into the world with that knowledge and have a great time. Well, you certainly do have a great time. I had the pleasure of eating with you in New York, and you're a lot of fun. You are not letting food allergies slow you down one bit, and I think, if anything, you're the perfect person to tell this story and to leave others empowered and help move us from feeling shy or ashamed about our situation, being empowered and take charge and enjoy life. 
So I want to thank you for this book. I think it's a very important, important piece of the story. Listeners, I want to just remind you, we have been speaking with Sloane Miller. She is a licensed social worker and author of Allergic Girl, Adventures in Living Well with Food Allergies. And I know you've got some videos on your website as well. The blog is called Please Don't Pass the Nuts, Eating Allergy-Free, One Meal at a Time. And Sloan, it's been a pleasure to have you here. I want to thank you, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you again, Sloan. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. It's been a thrill. 